Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Back at it again, episode 106. For the love of the game, let's get that work. Now I live on Billboard, and I brought my boys with me Say what up to Tata, still sipping my ties Sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five I be spiked out, I could trip a referee Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from Okay, episode 106 for the love of the game and I've got another one on deck Third episode of the week, as DJ Khaled would say Another one another one. It's been a great week of content so far, a great week. So thanks again to all my guests and even more to all the listeners that continue to support the show and send feedback, keep the positivity. So the weather in New York is turning. It is in the mid sixties today and sunny and the Knicks are tipping off their second half of the season tonight against the Bucks and are currently in fifth place in the East. So this March is already way better than last March. So as a result, tonight's meat and potatoes dish will be Knicks basketball, previewing the second half for the Knicks. And I have a very special first time guest to do so. And actually, I shouldn't say that. There may be a secondary guest on this episode, which I'm super excited about, super excited to talk to. But first, two things. One, the Dak Prescott contract extension. Four years, $160 million, $126 million guaranteed. Dak is someone I've been a little critical of in terms of where he currently stands in the hierarchy, in terms of quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. My take on the contract is this. It's a pretty good deal for both sides. Dak gets to go back into free agency at 30 to 31 years old. Uh, and if the cap goes up, and assuming he's still good, he'll be able to cash in once again. And for Dallas, it's really not that long of a commitment. I mean, it's just four years. And I know how the QB contracts work. The next guy up always sets the market. And I get that. But to me, and again, to me, there are only five guys who should be getting north of $40 million a year. That's Patrick Mahomes, that's Russell Wilson, that's Tom Brady, that's Aaron Rodgers, and Deshaun Watson. That's the list. So yeah, I get the number won't look as large in in reference to the cap in two years. I get that. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, their contracts will reset the market, sure. But in a hard cap sport, to pay a QB, that's not necessarily in the upper, upper echelon, to me, seems like an overpay. I mean, he's not better than the guys I just mentioned earlier. He's not better than Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert going forward, I don't think. He's not better than Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson, you can make the argument. But still, for a guy at that ninth best QB in in the league spot, given the, uh, the landscape, I just think to pay him for him to be the second highest paid quarterback is, is an overpay. 
I mean, let, let's look at the landscape right now. If Dak went on the open market for teams that are in the quarterback, you know, market, how many teams would have offered him what Dallas offered him? Six, seven, that's less than a third of the league. So yeah, Dak is good. He's better than Wentz, which I was wrong about before. He's better than Goff, which I was wrong about before. But 40 mil a year to be the second highest paid guy, I don't know. I don't see it. Now, if Dallas was paying 30 mil a year, you know, that 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 extra $10 million a year can go towards another good player to help the rest of the roster. But whatever, it's not my money. I'm a Giants fan. I kind of wish the worst for Dallas, but good for Dak because he seems like a good guy. Good for Dallas as well because they they finally uh, locked up their quarterback position. But go Giants, and I w- wish the worst for the Dallas Cowboys. Secondly, uh, last big bit of news before we get into tonight's guests, and I didn't want to address it, but I feel like I should, the Myers-Leonard situation. So he got caught dropping the K-bomb uh, on a live stream playing video games. Not a good look. As a Jewish guy, I definitely did not enjoy seeing that. And the reactions were largely bad as well because social media generally sucks. And there's a lot of fake outrage out there because people are trying to keep up with the Joneses in terms of being outraged about something. Those same people wouldn't have said boo uh, against anti-Semitism about five months ago, per se. It's just all bad. So I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but I'll say this. Julian Edelman's response was the best. It was by far the best thing you'll see in reference to the Myers-Leonard situation. He invited Myers-Leonard to talk. He would uh, educate Leonard on on why the word is so hateful and uh, and and hurts uh, the Jews so much. And he invited him to a Friday night dinner to experience what uh, a Shabbat dinner would look like. I mean, Julian Edelman is a mensch. And Myers Leonard, it came out today, was fined 50K and suspended a week, which is not surprising given the owner of the Heat is a very proud Jew. Is it enough? Uh, Do I think uh, if something else was said uh, in reference to different groups, would it be treated more harshly? Yes. But again, I don't want to get into all that. And Udonis Haslam's tweet about him being a Udonis Haslamberg because he knows a, a bunch of Jewish people and has a bunch of Jewish friends and is also a member of the Miami Heat organization. That made me laugh. But so, yeah, that's my brief take on the Myers Leonard incident. But enough with that. Enough with it. Positive vibes only. New York is about to pop off, as I mentioned before. It's getting warm and the Knicks are good again. So, cue the music. That's right. It's time to bring back the Go New York, Go New York, Go theme song. That's what it's all about. So with that said, it's time to talk Knicks basketball with a first-time guest in just a moment. Okay, so I teased it before in the monologue. Uh, I am bringing on a special first-time guest to talk Knicks basketball. I've got the fever. I hope he does too. Mr. Alec Marcus. Alec, how's it going, man? Good to good to finally have you on. Good to finally meet you. Uh, it's going great. I'm so excited because today we're actually getting back to the Knicks fever, so hopefully it'll be fun today. That's right. Second half of the season kicks off tonight against Milwaukee. Should be interesting. Before we get started, so you and I um, 
we met on uh, on Twitter, which seems to be the norm for those of us who are trying to make it big in the media these days. So uh, before we get into all things Knicks, tell everybody what you're currently doing. Give us some background and how you got into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Aaron. So I've been a huge NBA fan for, you know, as long as I can remember. And recently with the pandemic, I was losing my NBA fix. I really needed to discuss the league with people. I was interested in any news that could come out of, um, you know, the short, the stoppage, I should say. And then when it finally resumed, it was great. But after I was really missing it. And so I finally started writing, um, you know, basketball articles about the NBA, about its teams. And that's what I've been doing for a blog called Sportsology, which a friend of mine um, actually runs. I've sort of taken over, you know, the Hoopsology section and just been providing um, NBA coverage of different teams, just been sharing my thoughts um, on new topics and interesting teams uh, discussions are going on. And yeah, recently I've been, you know, marketing my articles on Twitter. It's been really successful whenever the games are going on, I get to meet new people. Um, And I wrote a Knicks article a few weeks ago and I was so happy to connect with you and a bunch of other Knicks fans. It was such great conversation that I was having and people were loving my article on the Knicks, which, you know, we'll discuss here tonight. Um, But it was so, it's so great to be able to start writing. I love it. I'm going to keep doing it and just trying to grow my platform and meeting new people. There you go. This is perfect. Awesome. So love to hear that. Absolutely love to hear it. So the tweet that sort of connected us as we get into, uh, you know, tonight's uh, topics was about uh, one of my favorite guys to watch right now, especially on the Knicks, Emmanuel quickly, but this is about something I don't particularly enjoy. And that's the, the foul hunting, Um, you know, quickly has, a knack of drawing fouls. I don't think he's egregious as egregious as a foul hunter in terms of not in flow of basketball, say like a Trey Young or that like James Harden was at his peak. Um, but yeah, no, there was one play where he basically, he, you get a guy up in the air on a pump fake, you jump into him, the guy can go straight up and the shooter's going to get the foul. I absolutely hate this call. Uh, you wrote an article about it. Like, I don't understand why the league hasn't kind of gotten smart about this and, and tried to take it out of the game of basketball because it's not a basketball play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually definitely agree with the criticism. You know, I don't really have uh, a lot of bad things to say about the Knicks, even though I am a Knicks fan, this is something that's new and something that is just ugly to watch. You can see it developing in the game. It's having such an impact that like even you know, even though the superstars are doing it, like now rookies are coming into the league and doing it immediately. So I would say that, first off, I think you should consider it as the new flopping. I mean, it looks ridiculous. They're lunging into defenders rather than defenders making contact and the player who's shooting uh, the three-pointer is falling back. They're the ones initiating it, which makes it look even more ridiculous. Um, and if it, it, it continues to go on this path of it looking egregious, there's going to be fines just like flopping. Um, And I think that's a good measure because you kind of want to cut this out of the game. You want to make the league office look, uh, look like they have this action under control. Um, I hate that it looks like even so much more ridiculous because when it's flopping, it makes a player look weak when they're like pushed around. Um, This is worse because the players are looking like they're dancing. They're like maneuvering around the defenders they're like leaping in midair and falling backward. They're lunging forward and landing on their stomach. Like it looks ridiculous. 
flopping at least can sort of be debatable. This is just not. It's just them lunging. Um, the league hasn't done anything. I come up with a few reasons. I think the first reason is that more scoring is more profitable. And with much more three-point shooting, there's a lot more fouls to be called. Um, so, you know, more fouls, more free throws, scoring goes up and up and up. And that's, you know, all fine. Everybody doesn't like those low-scoring games nowadays. But then I also think there's the side of it where think about the think about the alternative because Bruce Bowen was very well known for this and Zaza Pachulia. These guys are aggressive defenders and have been known to injure opponents. So if defenders are hurting players by landing in the shooter's landing space and they you know sprain their ankle or they they get knocked in the in the mouth while they're shooting, that's bad. And the alternative is we're going to create more space. If you're being very aggressive on a shooter, we're going to call a foul. And it's just how it's been protecting players from the alternative of we're trying to injure you when you're landing on the jump shot. We're trying to um, make contact to make you not hit this like very profitable shot. Um, it, it's it's sort of twofold. I understand why they haven't cut it out completely. Um, and I, I think that fines are going to start coming in. I think that it's better than the alternative that's, you know, unfortunately where players might be getting hurt if they're too aggressive closing out on a shot. Um, but overall, I just don't like it. The pendulum has swung completely the opposite way. All right. There's a there's a fine line between Zaza Pachulia and what he did to Kawhi Leonard and Bruce Bowen. Then, you know, James Harden at his apex when he was doing it on the Rockets. And I couldn't right, yeah. stand it. You know, he's he's fallen all over the place because his landing zone is about five feet radius, like a radius yeah, of five yeah. feet. It's nuts. Like the whole thing is nuts. It's not just Harden. And, and I have a brand that I can't stand James Harden. Um, you know, it's also, it's, it's Steph Curry does it with the, with the lunging in my, our, our guy IQ does it, but I, yeah. I just, it's, it's enough for it. I can't stand watching it, but we're about positive vibes today because it is beautiful in New York and the New York Knicks are above 500 after the all-star break fifth seed in the East. It, so we're feeling nice. So no more negativity because the Knicks are in the mix. So on a scale of one to 10, how excited are you about this team? What has jumped out to you the most about this uh, first half of New York Knicks basketball this year? Uh, give me, give me your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a lot to say because it's been, you know, eight years built up of losing and finally we're in a good place. One to 10 right away. Uh, I would say probably an eight. I'm really confident in the direction of this team. I don't really know if expectations could have been really higher. I mean, you don't really expect this team to compete with Brooklyn um, right at the gate of the season, but I'm I'm very happy with the direction of this team. Maybe an eight, not a 10, because it seems like it, we're overperforming in such a short amount of time. Like why, why this team has such a short amount of time to put things back together. But anyway, I'm super excited. Um, eight years of losing. They fell extremely hard after their 54-win season in 2013. And the team has, you know, climbed up a bit and then jumped right back down a couple of times. Um, after years of going in the wrong direction, they finally have a healthy path and are in the perfect position of winning games while having a future, while having draft assets, while having young prospects. And this is what you want to see. This is what Oklahoma City has last year. This is what Miami has last year. They're in the perfect position where they're winning now and they're probably going to win more later. They have very impressively 
recycled Porzingis. And I know that's like the curse word, but they recycled Porzingis in like a year and a half. Uh, Randall is a better cap, and we'll talk about him later, but he's a better captain. Uh, right now, the Knicks have two cornerstones in the starting lineup. Apart from him, they have an exciting young point guard and obvious franchise players. And what I'm most excited about, I guess, with the team is they're playing defense. Defense was something that defense and effort was something that you didn't think about anymore post 90s with the Knicks. And it was an obvious reason why teams were getting ahead and they were falling behind. They were just scoring. Um, they were getting nowhere. And you learn that with Carmelo Anthony and J.R. Smith and Porzingis and Marcus Morris. And then now you realize with defense, it travels and you're able to win on the road without the crowd there. You're able to win against elite opponents. When you shut them down, you show effort and have discipline. Um, it's definitely helping to create a more consistent rotation rather than just playing the hot hand or whoever's going to have the highlight dunks or get the crowd reaction. So I love the defense. I love the path going forward. And I definitely love the new breed of guys that put in effort, are proud to wear the Knicks uniform, and the organization as a general deserves a round of applause for finally putting it in a great direction and so quickly. So a couple of things you said. Um, one, obviously, the Porzingis trade, um, which I uh, was not in favor of the way they did it when they did it. Um, but it it's turning out to be great, even though I do think that we'll never really know what happened in that organization with them because Phil Jackson was a mess and everything was a mess when he was there. And, and I always had a soft spot for Porzingis because – you know, before he got hurt that year, he was looking like he was going to be a real like top 15 level player in terms of what he could be. And and the, the leg injuries haven't necessarily let that come to fruition. But I always thought the high end talent was there and that they squandered that talent really poorly. Uh, but, you know, ever since that Carmelo team with Jason Kidd, 54 and 28. I mean, we've had to endure the Andrea Bargnani trade. We had to endure uh, picking uh, Frank Nilakino over Donovan Mitchell and Shea Gilgis Alexander. We've had to endure Kevin Knox over Michael Porter Jr. We've had a lot to endure. Uh, and it's it's nice to see that there's, that there's a pride in this team, more so than anything else. Uh, because if you look at the roster top to bottom, it's a not it's not a very talented roster, but the sum the sum of the parts are way greater than the individual pieces. Uh, and Tibbs, and I was nervous about Tibbs coming in because the whole thing was like he plays an archaic system uh, of defense. We saw that in Minnesota. He's a, he was a you know those Minnesota teams weren't very good defensively, and he doesn't necessarily. He'll always prioritize playing the veteran over the young guy to try and eat the most number of wins out. But he's played quickly a lot. I mean, sometimes I think he should play him more, but he's played quickly a lot. He's played RJ a lot. And they're performing. And RJ significantly better than he was last year. Quickly has been a revelation at the 23rd pick. So it's hard to really complain right now. And, and more than anything else, as I said, it's just it's the effort that they play with. I don't expect them to play well. I mean, they were they were projected in Vegas to win 
their over-under was 22 and a half, right? They're 19 and 18 already. So this is like gravy over here. It's just that they play hard. And even in, in nights that they don't have it, they still play hard, even if they lose. So it's been wonderful, wonderful to watch. Uh, I mean, right now, would you put Thibodeau in uh, Coach of the Year consideration? He's got to be in the mix, right? Yeah, I, I actually wrote that. I said, obviously in the mix. Um, I, I don't like how Coach of the Year's recent trend, it's like, oh, the team that uh, overperformed the most like at the top. But the team that turned around the most is absolutely the Knicks this year. And Thibodeau deserves all the credit. You can see that even with the teams that have the better record that might be overperforming like the Suns or the Jazz, they have so much more time and talent to work with. Thibodeau just got here and they're already a winning team at the break. Um, I, I'm obviously local biased. You know, I am a New Yorker. I'm a Knicks fan. But, you know, the likely candidates like Quinn Snyder, Monty Williams, Doc Rivers, they'll probably be the ones that are be um, the most cast on the ballot. I would vote for Thibodeau. It's been the most impressive. Expectations are extremely high in New York that should factor in. And with the just again, with the talent that he has, with the time he's had, with the stage he has to play on, with the constant losing, the biggest turnaround should be the coach of the year. It's not who has the most wins. It's who's done the best coaching. And that has definitely been Thibodeau with this team getting it the getting the most and most and most out of it that anyone could possibly could possibly have done at this point. So we mentioned how we're both quite exuberant about what's going on, but there's a little bit of, uh, you know, th- there could be some, you know, cold water thrown on us because the Knicks uh, schedule to right off the bat uh, in the second half of the year is an exceedingly tough schedule. I mean, they, they're playing against Milwaukee tonight without Derrick Rose. They get Brooklyn early. They get Philly early. They have, I think, the fifth toughest schedule for the second half of the year. Um, next 10 games. What a realistic uh, expectations for the Knicks uh, in the next 10 games. And where could they stay in the mix after the next 10 games? Right, yeah. So you mentioned Milwaukee. They play them twice. They play Philly twice. They play Brooklyn. Washington's getting healthy. Miami's getting healthy. Um, next 10 games, I think realistically, um, four and six. You want them to be at least 500 with just 25 games remaining. You should be able to be Oklahoma City in this stretch, Orlando in this stretch. They should be sellers with the deadline approaching. You should be able to beat Washington once and also the Bucks once because you obliterated them in the beginning of the year. That's where Yeah, I but this is a different Bucks team now. They're rounding this into is a, form. This is a Bucks team for sure, yeah. Yeah, it, it is a Bucks it is a different Bucks team for sure. I guess if I'm looking at like how hot everybody's getting like if Milwaukee is like the lesser of Philly and the Nets like I would say like maybe you could beat Milwaukee. We'll see how tonight goes. They'll play them again down the line so we'll see if they learn a thing or two. Um, I'll end it by saying, like, the last thing you want to hear after all this great uh, coverage and optimism coming from them and the swagger, you do not want them to be at a point where they're three and seven in their last 10 because then their momentum is shot. And you know that they're fragile because they're young. They haven't had success like this in a long time. It's going to be even harder to fare off teams that are in the middle you're competing with, like Charlotte and Chicago and and some other guy, even Washington's coming. You don't want them to be down bad 
after this 10 game stretch. That's where I get the four and six. Anything that or up, I think we're really coast clearing for the next 25 games and should have a pretty easy time um, avoiding the play in tournament or at least getting in the playoffs. I think that's a realistic goal. Um, I think that's realistic expectation. And, you know, they're the type of team that can catch a better team, a more talented team than them on the right night and just catch them because they're just going to play harder. And we'll see. I mean, and you hope that that translates. I mean, there's no real, you can crunch the numbers, but, but again, numbers are on paper. Like you can't account for a team that just is just like, you know, a lunch pail type of squad that just brings it every night. And you Mm -hmm. can win a lot of end games in the regular season just by bringing it. I mean, Look at them now. Uh, you know, that that's how they've won all these. That's how they are where they are right now. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, four and six uh, would be a win in my book. I agree with you with this. So we, we mentioned uh, the roster, right? Obviously, uh, the headliner right now is Julius Randle. Made his first all-star team, deservingly so. I, I know I did an episode a couple of months ago. And I, um, I did not pick him as a reserve. He was like my last cut. And then he went on a stretch and made me look really, really stupid. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy he got there. He's been a revelation to watch. But I still, for me, I can't get over what I saw last year and how gross it was to watch him last year. So the growth that he made from this year to – from last year to this year is insane, but I still have my guard up a little bit because maybe it's kind of like a contract year. Cause he has a, he has an option and it's like a team option. I think that I'm still, I still have my guard up. Why can't I go all in on Julius Randall being a 26 year old, completely reformed player? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll make an argument for why, like I have my guard a little lower uh, but to answer your immediate question, you said like last year gets the big free agent signing, gets the big city. He's the number one guy and just absolutely falls apart. They don't win. They get the coach fired. Uh, he looks completely selfish when when passing might have been a potential bright spot in his game. He looked like he just wanted to dribble the ball and post up, even though he's undersized big man. And he he was lackadaisically wasn't trying on defense. He he just. He didn't care to take shots um, at the end of the game. And you don't want that from the star. And you bring up great points about the contract year and how he might just be trying to redeem himself moving forward. It is only 37 games. I think a lot of it has to do with the changes around him. And that's why I bring up um, Randall in the article and, and, and bring it up last and saying, that with the new coach and the new president and the new team and some of the young guys stepping up, it's all really helping him out. Um, so my, my case on Randall, and it's all, it's all about coming together at the right time. So my case on Randall, like as a positive, I think he's, we've seen it enough this year to think at a really great level, he is definitely a number one option that can carry a team to the playoffs because this team is young. It's very new. It's talent poor. um, He's always been an individual winner, even though his teams in the NBA have been bad. He's he's got the winning pedigree. Uh, I like to say he's a producer despite his small size. 
he's able to play on a big stage, which is underrated. He played at Kentucky. He played in Los Angeles with Kobe. He's now playing for the Knicks. He has some great star attributes, which you don't see in everybody. He is a terrific and consistent scorer. He is an excellent shooter. I don't know if that's sustainable. He's a solid defender. At least, you know, he's, he's a really great rebounder and tries. He's accountable. Um, the biggest piece about it now, which, again, we didn't see this last year. He's an amazing passer. We give praise to Giannis and Jokic um, being big men and having great all-around offensive games. Um, that's what Randall looks like this year. He's averaging five assists, which is among um, the big men in the league, and he's trying on defense too. Now, is he good enough to be the best player on a championship caliber team? That's the question every Knicks fan is asking. The answer is no. He's not physically imposing. He's not an elite defender. He doesn't have great handles, and he isn't a create-your-own-shot, 40-point scorer on any given night that you really need, the Kawhi Leonard's, the KD's, the Curry's, the LeBron. In my opinion, he falls in the Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, Draymond Green category, who all help teams get to the championship but don't necessarily win it. I know the Knicks want a player of Kevin Durant's stature and are desperate for a championship. And we'll talk about someone who I think might have that in his DNA next, I think. But he is not the number one guy we should be reserved about paying him number one money. Uh, I think he is an exceptional number two, a good enough one to enjoy things right now. Um, you bring up great reasons for why it might be fool's gold because the timing is spectacular for him individually. I think that he is supposed to be the, the, the Robin, let's say, to the Batman, and I hope that Knicks fans and the Knicks organization see that, and I hope that that's respectful of his talent moving forward. He's like fifth in, he's like top five in the league in usage rate. That's not a sustainable model for success. Yeah, all right, it's too, just yeah. not. As much as as much as he's been unbelievable this year, and I would and he's proving me wrong basically every game. I'm on a WhatsApp group with a couple of buddies of mine who constantly are throwing this in my face. I'm just like, I, I get it. I know, I know. But I, it's just, you know, there are very, and, and in fairness to him, there are very few of those guys out there, right? I mean, you mentioned earlier before between the difference between like Oklahoma City, you know, playing above their, their um, talent level, especially last year, and Miami. It's because those guys have top 15 level guys, you know, Chris Paul. And Jimmy Butler, who I consider a top 10 player, I mean, he proved like he put up a 40 point triple double in the finals. All right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a next level kind of player. If Randall somehow turns into that, like, you know, I, I'm so happy to eat the biggest plate of crow I've ever eaten. Uh, but I just, I, I don't see it yet, but we've seen this happen in the NBA, right? It doesn't always happen all at once. It's in stages. So if they show that they're a competent franchise, all of a sudden, guys are going to want to go there. It happened with the Clippers. It happened with the Nets, even though if Durant, I'm still convinced of this to this day, if Durant doesn't tear his ACL, that he becomes a, he becomes a Nick. But whatever. That That's uh, he, he, either here nor there. But – I'm I'm willing to give my heart to Julius Randle. I, I but I just 
can't get there yet, but I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Uh, the next guy who's, you know, a very split opinion on is RJ Barrett. Uh, I, I don't think RJ Barrett as good as he's been was at is in the Zion uh, or John Moran class, even still. And he's made a major jump from last year, but it looks like he can be some type of perennial type of all-star, but I don't think he's either the cornerstone of your, of your franchise. What do you see with Barrett uh, this year that you like so much more than last year? And, and where are you at with him as a prospect in terms of where he can fall on a pecking order of a good team? Sure. Yeah. And I, I love RJ. RJ is definitely my favorite, um, favorite Nick. And maybe it's biased towards homegrown talent or that like they finally got a top three pick. But I, I mean, I love RJ. Um, I'll say this before you go. He's their most, he's the most important Nick right now for the, for the long-term viability of the franchise. Knowing what he is, is more important than anything else. Him and Robinson, as good as Randall's been, those two guys and quickly are the most important Knicks to the franchise. But anyway, continue. No, I completely agree. I, I would have said that myself too. I completely agree. Uh, Okay, so this year, uh, it seems like he's much more capable of creating his own shot, like an NBA shot. And last year when he was a rookie, he was trying to do what he did at Duke and in high school. And you're just not going to get the efficiency that you want. You're not going to get the spacing that you has always been able to get. You're not going to get the ball as much. You kind of have to create on your own. And he seems like he's doing that this year, getting to the rim, um, actually, you know, finishing with authority, which is great. He's been able to... um, not off the dribble three-pointers. That's what you kind of want to see, but making three-pointers, getting open, um, uh, doing a little mid-range stuff, which is really great. That's what Randall and him have been really great at. Um, He's hustling on fast breaks. Those are easy points. This is why they got so many more wins than they did in previous years is that they're really trying to get every point possible. He finishes tough shots. Like I said, he slams the ball, which, you know, you don't really have to. But I mean, if you're gonna if you're capable of doing it at any given moment, and it's gonna make you a star um, when you drive to the rim like that, he is a he is underwhelming. I don't want to say a little. He is underwhelming because he's not consistent. Um, you want him to be a 20 point scorer right away, and he's not been able to do that. Um, his three point shot has been amazing lately, but you wonder if it's just a hot streak or if if it's guys just going nuts over Randall and how does that play into when he's the number one guy. Um, so if not for Randall's drastic rise, I think RJ would probably have some better numbers, but in the meantime, as a secondary player, and we expect him to be a, you know, a primary player, if not in the second half, but next year, for sure, uh, you love his individually, you love his poise, you love his fearlessness, you love his leadership at a young age. Um, his pride wearing a Knicks uniform. I love the commercials. I love all the ads he's in. I love the features. Um, his determination to be a star. That is the last one is not what you've seen in Frank and Kevin Knox, sort of an Obi Toppins looking pretty shy out there. I love that RJ seems to be the guy, even though his talent or his athleticism might not make it the franchise guy he's a guy I I will say he's more likely a guy that should be moving forward if he has a huge jump that's excellent um we can talk about him being the franchise superstar 
I think that he definitely has the potential because of what I've seen out of high school and Duke. He looks like he can be an incredible scorer. He's already a great rebounder. He's a pretty decent, unselfish passer. Um, that, that's where I stand on RJ. I, I wish I wish it could be to the level of Zion, John Moran. It's a few spots short. It's not going that route, especially right now. Um, we don't know how many more draft picks the Knicks have to get before they get that guy who's instantly amazing or the generational talent. Seems like they're going to have to recruit it, and RJ is going to develop into the piece that brings him to New York. You mentioned about his passing. Um, a lot of a lot of Knicks fans and and Knicks followers are very split on this. Do you think that he, because the assist numbers aren't necessarily great, but last year, I mean, he had like everybody else on the team, and I'm convinced it's because Marcus Morris was on the team and basically was the uh, the tunnel vision cancer that spread throughout the entire team. I'm convinced of this, um, but. Don't you think he has a little less tunnel vision, especially when he goes to the rim uh, this year than he did last year? And, and that's going to be a major part of his growth because, you know, right now he's he's just bullying his way to the basket. Like he's a little one-dimensional, just going left. There's not a whole lot, you know, variety, but he's got, you know, bigger shoulders and, and, and he's crafty and he can, you know, square his shoulders and, and create a little bit of separation but I think he still has a tremendous amount of growth in him as a passer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that he has, again, I, yeah, I agree. He's a long way to go and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to lie and say that RJ is not a scorer. He's a scorer. Um, and I guess why I'm so high on his passing from what I've seen so far is that he's like willing to, if you're willing to get your teammates involved and find good shots, maybe not, all the time but sometimes if you're at least making smart plays while you're a scorer I can get on board with that as a 20 year old um he's definitely he's definitely having tunnel vision when it goes when it comes to going to the basket and I think it's tough like I kind of give him some leeway because Knicks fans and the Knicks media you know they want him to be like a 25 point scorer like Zion's doing it why can't you and John Morant's putting up 35 why can't you any given night and it's you know, once once he starts being a scorer, well, it's like, well, you only had two assists and you took 20 shots. Why can't you why can't you be like John Morant? Why can't you be like Lonzo? So it's or Lamelo, excuse me. It's it's tough. He's not getting the ball nearly as much because Julius Randle is the guy. From what I see, I like the passes he's making. Um, I I think assists are kind of tricky. You know, there's not amazing catch and shoot guys on the team. No, uh, no amazing big man that you can just throw it down to and he'll get you the assist number. So I think well Robinson stuff. was kind of, well Robinson was kind of like that. I mean they had a nice little lob thing going but he's been out. They don't have that vertical yeah. threat and and you know yeah. as as nice as Nerlens Noel is filled in especially on the defensive end. He's not that elite level roller or athlete that's a lob threat that has that yeah. vertical, you know, spacing. Yeah, yeah. I I I guess I'm I guess I'm running out of uh, arguments here. I, I mean, I like, he's obviously not an incredible, you know, passing shooting guard. He's no Harden or anything, uh, but not many I, guys are as much as I can't stand. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. And he, uh, I, I just, I like what I see from him being so young. I think it's really hard when you have like super, not you, but like everybody super high expectations. This is supposed to be the guy. Um, 
even at like 20 years old, even though we're not giving him the ball as the number one option, even though we're letting um, other veterans take shots over him. And it, and it's a, it's an offensive scheme with Thibodeau. So it is tough. I, I just, I do like his unselfishness. He's not really erratic. He doesn't seem like he's turning the ball over. He does seem like he's recognizing everybody's strengths while really trying to be the best scorer he can be because you know that's his calling card. I'll say this about his shooting. I don't need him to get super, you know, efficient at, at threes off the dribble. I don't care about it. That's fine. If he makes the wide open ones, he's catching and shooting, great. I don't need him to start taking off the dribble threes. Like, I don't need some some Steph Curry stuff. I don't need Zach Levine, even Zach Levine. I don't want – Jason Tatum type attempts, just, just stick to the basics. All right. But, but I will say this, like he did from all accounts, anybody who's ever met him, anybody who's ever, you know, spoken to him, worked with him, he wants to be great. So you're never going to have an issue of him not maxing out his, his potential. Uh, what that ceiling is, it, it, it's from, remains to be seen, but at least he's going to do whatever he has to do to get there. So I, I definitely like that. Um, besides for RJ and, uh, and, and Randall, um, what do you want to see from the Knicks in the second half? Like somebody under the radar who you want to see pop? Uh, what do you, what are you looking at specifically? Yeah. Yeah. So what, I mean, what I definitely want to see just from like a team success perspective can they just keep Derrick Rose in the starting lineup? And I don't mean 35 minutes. I mean, like, can he play over Alfred Payton is, I guess, what I'm saying. I'm fine weaving Emmanuel quickly as the bucket getter off the bench and having him run a second unit, let's say. If To the people that say, well, I like Rose and IQ together, but if IQ is, you know, you're sliding him into a shooting guard, you're kind of creating a log jam because you have him and Barrett as scorers. I want IQ to stay a point guard, even though he's a phenomenal scorer. He can be a scoring point, they say. So Rose, the starting point guard, because there's so much clearly better with him than Peyton. Tibbs trusts him. The players respect him. And Rose is clearly the best playmaking point guard facilitator on the roster. Can he just play over Peyton? And can he start? Can he finish games okay? Can he put less... Can, can they start getting, um, you know, better leads in the first half and maybe taking the foot off the gas with the young guys and Randall um, to lower their uses, like we say? I, I want to see Rose. I just think it's much healthier. And him with IQ, uh, it kind of worries me. The second thing, uh, very immediate, Frank Nilakina is on fire. Uh, from very limited number of shots, he is the number one three-point shooter. Is he going to stay hot? His three-point shooting to me, and I would love to hear your perspective on Frank soon um, after this, his three-point shooting to me is the only thing keeping him in the rotation. And obviously, y'all, yeah, elite defense, lockdown defender. If the Knicks, think about it, my Frank fans, like if the Knicks are number one in defense and 30th in offense, and you want Frank Nilakina of all people, to enter the rotation, how are you improving? Because you're already amazing on the defensive end and you're nowhere putting up points like anybody else. It doesn't make sense to me. He's pretty much inept as a point guard. He's basically just a shooting guard who can lock guys down and hit three-point shots on the outside if he stays in the corner. He doesn't want to facilitate. He doesn't want to dribble. Can't create his own shots. Can't really pass. He's super shy. And then the third thing, Obi Toppin. 
I, I don't want this to go the Frank Nilakina route. I don't want this to go the Kevin Knox route. I want him to step up. I'm happy he's playing. I know Tibbs favors veterans, and Julius has been amazing at the same position, but you want Obi to get more time because this is another piece that you just invested somewhat, just invested a huge asset into. He's having a very, very irrelevant rookie season, and it worries me. He was such an amazing do-it-all player in college. If people have reservations about Randall already, and Obi is going to be a homegrown talent, uh, cause he's from here and he's a great asset and he's a great guy and a great teammate, then you need him to be someone who's not just a finisher and three point, you know, stretch big man. You need him to be a guy that can develop chemistry with IQ can, uh, work down well with Robinson. You want him to be the one that can maybe, um, be a facilitator like Randall play fourth quarter minutes. Let's not kid around. Like we have the other lottery picks in recent years. You need Obi to step up. And yeah, but that's not up. that's not realistic for for where the Knicks are right now. It's not because you can't have it both ways. If Randall's going to be this good, and you're trying to make the playoffs for the first time since 2013, you. I'm sorry, like Toppin's got to just be pushed to the side, and he's going to get spot minutes. He's just going to be an energy guy, and and we'll take it from there in the off season. You just can't have it both ways. It's yeah, like, you it's, can. That's, that's it's, why it's having tough, your cake yeah. and eating it too, and it's just it's just not possible. Um, my my thing with Frank is, I mean, it's not Donovan Mitchell. He's not Shea Gildas Alexander. Do I think Frank got a a raw deal in a sense where the old regime just wouldn't play him when it was? The situation called for them to play him to see what they had. Yes. Uh, do I think he could be a nice compliment to quickly and on the second, um, you know, on the second unit if they're going to play together? Yes, I do because you know he's not a he's not a terrible ball handler. Like he can do some things now. Is he a primary ball handler? Has he has he built that out yet? No, clearly not. But, you know, Quickly's done a nice job at that. Whether that's his long-term future or not remains to be seen. But Quickly has done a nice job with that. And the Knicks, when Quickly plays, they have a different energy. They have a different bounce. So I'm for, I'm for, you know, the Quickly, um, you know, the Quickly, uh, who was I just talking about? Uh, Backcourt. I don't want to see any more Alfred Payton. I just don't want to see it. I've had enough. It's just, it's enough already. Uh, I'm done with that. The thing I want to see most is when, when Robinson comes back, what, what he looks like and what, how they're going to use him. Because I, I do think they had something nice going and, and he breaks his, his wrist and it sucks, but he's a guy I'm still most interested to see because as I mentioned before, the three most important guys in there in their uh, organization right now are quickly RJ and Robinson to see what they are. Um, and those are the young guys who could potentially attract another piece, even more so than Randall, e- even if Randall's having the out of body experience that he's having uh, Toppin is just going to have to wait and see. Um, well, I get over that they should have taken Tyrese Halliburton to pair with quickly for the next ha- handful of years. Probably mm-hmm. not. It will still hurt. Uh, but that that's where it is. So um, trade deadline's coming up. The Knicks 
are in an interesting spot because, again, they're way better than anybody expected. Uh, they may be buyers at the deadline. Are there any – they may choose to stand pat because you could go the route of developmental route. Where do you see the Knicks in reference to the, the trade market? Where do you see them in the, getting in the mix, if at all? Yeah, and and I think that especially because they're not really deep and they're very young, you can understand if they're buyers. Um, I think that that's okay, but it's it's paramount to realize for the Knicks, and I'm sure they know this. They're not winning a championship. They shouldn't go crazy. Um, they shouldn't get ahead of themselves like they always do. You mentioned Bargnani a while ago, so just. Please, I'm, I'm asking for them to not take minutes away from their young guys, to not ship away tons of draft capital, which took years to accumulate. Um, if anything, just add a shooter. If anything, add a guy on the wing that can just get you easier points than Bullock can, than Alec Burks can, than, R- than not really RJ, but um, Kevin Knox can or Obi. You know, that, that, would, be, that would be super helpful to me. Um, and if there's, is there if there's a player a- out there that fits that mold? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they like, they're looking at JJ Redick. I know they're testing the waters with guys in the division, um, to see, you know, what would New Orleans potentially want? Cause that's a guy that can make the playoff, uh, berth and even run pretty easy. If he's knocking down shots and he's spacing the floor, you move RJ over cause he's not an excellent shooter, but he could be a great wing. So, you know, I don't, I don't know many shooter, shooters are definitely the most sought after because they, they, um, they can really explode in the playoffs, but, you know, o- overall, I wouldn't compete with those huge, I wouldn't compete with the, um, the big fish in the sea because you're just going to lose. They're going to want it more. They're going to win more anyway. Um, if, if they're going to, if they can find something cheap, like I hate to say Wayne Ellington, if they can find something a little cheap, uh, to just get us, get a nice shooting three point guy, uh, as a wing and not taking any minutes away from, you know, quickly or, or Robinson, then I, I think that's, that's feasible. So the one thing I, so I like the Reddick thing. We'll see what new Orleans does. Cause they're one of the most confusing teams in the league and somebody I'm not going to pay attention to until they, prove that they are willing to play some semblance of, of defense, uh, even though Zion is unbelievable to watch. Uh, so Redick is a name that, uh, that definitely comes to mind. I even think uh, along the same vein, I don't think he's available right now, but there, there was a, a little bit of a Lonzo ball chatter uh, that I, that I was intrigued with, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they can give uh, trade him now. Cause I, I think yeah. he's played too well for them. Uh, the, the, what, if you wanted to take a swing, if they wanted to take a swing at another guy who can, you know, make plays for, for other guys, depending on the price, I would be willing to take a flyer on Victor Oladipo. Uh, I'd be willing to take the flyer on that. I'd be willing, more willing to do that than, you know, try and get like a Vucevic because I think that the Knicks have, a log jam at center with uh, with Robinson, as I mentioned before, and I really like what Nerlens Noel has brought uh, to this team. But if you're going to take a flyer, I think um, I think Old and Oladipo has not been good, but I think it's a worthy flyer because uh, he because he do, he still does command respect, 
out there because he's made a couple of all-star games. He commands respect out there, even though his numbers aren't great. And that that that's a risk depending on what Houston would be asking that I, I'd be definitely willing to take. Yeah, I I mean, I like Oladipo. I don't know what's been going on with him banged up or um, injuries, uh, not injuries. And now he's on a bad team. Now he's on a yeah. bad team and he's looking to, he, he didn't want to be there in the first place. Like, yeah, no. yeah. It's, it's, it's just puzzling. His value is definitely the lowest um, that it's ever been. And yeah, that's, this is the time to act. So I agree with what you said. Those are the three guys that you have to put in the other room and say, let's begin trade conversation without these three in the room. Um, I, I would be definitely eager to take a flyer on him because he has the guy superstar potential. And if you can re-sign him, then you'll be able to, you know, just bringing in anyone of that stature will be helpful for bringing in, you know, uh, another huge, another huge name in free agency. Um, I don't think. Yeah. That the problem though, is the, the free agent market is. It's, it's getting smaller. Yeah, all the yeah. Big guys, uh, all the big guys are now. gone. I mean, Giannis signed the the extension. I mean, who's really out there? I mean, Kawhi and Paul George. Maybe they have options. Well, not Paul George anymore because he yeah. re up for the five years. But like, there's not really a whole lot out there right now. Yeah, so, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about that, that is very true. I guess with Victor, I've I've seen really tremendous things from him. I thought going to Indiana. And, you know, replace, you know, who's Paul George anymore and we're great without him or even better. And he, he, even with Westbrook, he learned a lot. So he has great attributes. He's super talented. I love how much he competes and his, his two-way game. Um, yeah. When he's healthy, of course. When he's healthy, of course, and, he, and, and, and he's playing to that level. But to get a guy like that, who was an all NBA player, not that long ago, you know, Sometimes you got to get them at a discount. Like that's where you have to pound. So we'll see how that goes. So uh, last thing. Um, oh, one, one more uh, trade deadline question. Yeah. yeah. Obviously there's a, there's a logic to say, you know, you cash in the Randall chip now. Oh yeah. This is tough because I think the Knicks fans would revolt, but would it be the worst move to try and do this in terms of the long-term viability of the franchise? And having said that, what level of blood in the streets would there be in New York if the Knicks decided to do that? Right. And this is, this is the question. I can't believe um, we almost got away with not asking it. This is huge. Um, so... I, I mean, one, I think the city immediately would go, they would go nuts because uh, New York fans are very short-minded. This is like putting a sweet after a line of vegetables in your face and then just taking it away and saying, no, we're going to keep building towards the future again. I can't see them getting like a better win now player for Randall. Randall, um, with Randall, I, I have, I have so much respect for him. And I feel like the fan base really needs to appreciate all that he's done, uh, even this year, as, as a huge leap it is. They're in the playoffs, and it's pretty much just on him, uh, even though a lot of things have changed. It's really been him. He's been all-star. And with Randall, to just, to just get rid of a guy that has done 
he's exceeded every expectation. He says he says all the right things that he wants to remain with the team. You can see he's a great locker room leader. He was the one who addressed the fans on on uh, when they finally returned a few weeks ago. When you just are thinking only for the organization and not about the player that you have that's been doing all the things that you want them to, to just look the other way and say we need to use you as just an asset. It's I think it'll get ugly when you have when you look at Boston and this is like the example when Isaiah Thomas revived that franchise and brought them right back to the Eastern Conference Finals as an all NBA guy granted injuries granted age granted size I get that but when they just flipped him and shut him out and they traded him instantly for Kyrie it was a very smart decision but now you look a few years later and what happened Kyrie immediately left. Gordon Hayward uh, left. They didn't trade for Anthony Davis because his dad said, we're not going to Boston after what happened to Isaiah Thomas. They haven't traded for anybody. They've only home. They've only done the homegrown talent and signed Kemba Walker just because of his, you know, position was needed. So when you trade. Well, in guy, fairness. Yeah. Uh, continue. Sorry. Go ahead. Wait, no, uh, you're good. I, I definitely want to hear what you have to say. When, when you trade the guy that finally gets you back to where you want to be. And there's no real reason to think why he couldn't be like a decently long-term plan, even if he's not the guy to just throw him away and think we're only going to look at you as like future draft capital or a young player um, to, to just so that we can do it all. So we can build it all up again. Um, it, it would leave a sour taste in my mouth. I know the fans would be upset. And it's definitely a risk. You have to be sure that you're going to move forward, even if it gets ugly. Again, it depends. It all depends on the price, right? Do I think it's going to happen? No, no, I don't. Um, would the Knicks fans revolt? Yes, absolutely. So I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, you mentioned Boston, and Boston definitely has this reputation of a of a more callous organization. Danny Ainge has gotten that. I mean, whether it's fair or not, I mean, the Kyrie situation, Kyrie's a nutbag. So you kind of can't use him as the best case scenario. Uh, Considering Isaiah Thomas's medicals, you're going to make that trade 10 times out of 10. So I I can't fault Boston there. Uh, I can't fault them with Gordon Hayward because of Gordon Hayward's medical issues. And now that, you know, he's blossoming in a bigger role, can't really use that as a great example. Either uh, Anthony Davis wanted to be in Los Angeles in like a huge market, wanted to be in Los Angeles, and Kyrie Irving wasn't going to stay there. He wasn't going there. All right. But to long story short, because this is a Knicks show, I do not believe that the Knicks are going to trade Julius Randle, even if, even if I I would love to somehow get uh, Jalen Suggs in the draft, but I don't think that's going to happen. But okay, so last, last question before I let you go. Where do the Knicks finish the year? Um, I came up with seventh in the East. I came up with logically just think no one's no one's stopping uh, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Um, I think Boston is getting healthier, and they always seem to do well in the second half. They're they're gonna you can trust Boston to uh, to be sharp come playoff time. Toronto has looked really good after their ugly star and they're a perennial playoff team. And then I think Miami, Miami is a kick-ass team. We'll see how they play against the Knicks. 
They were just in the finals. They're finally getting all their guys back and they're starting to win again. So I think anybody that I didn't name, the Knicks are probably better than. I can see them holding off the Hornets. Even though the Hornets might be a little top heavy, the Hornets just seem to not have the star, not not have the uh, the guy, uh, not have the chemistry there just yet. And they're they're also very young, and I just think they'll fall apart. And then the Bulls, um, the Bulls are kind of in the same boat of they're just going to be desperate to make the playoffs. Um, sort of like how the Knicks are. I think the Knicks can hold them off because they seem more tight-knit and they play a much harder uh, defensive game. And then the Pacers, who never seem to miss the playoffs, I they look, they look different this year. They look pretty sour. Um, I know Levert's not playing, but still, they look much weaker than they always have been. So I think that everybody that I didn't name, the Knicks are considerably better than. And I think finishing seventh aligns you up with I think you still have to play the play-in tournament, I believe, but yeah. I think that would be okay if, with the lesser teams, and hopefully you have an exciting matchup with Brooklyn. I think that would be freaking awesome to see. I don't think the Knicks are going to be in the top six. I don't think that that's going to sustain. I, I just, you know, I think Miami's going to be the four seed all said and done. I think Miami's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I was high on them before the season started. Obviously, they've gotten killed with the uh, injuries and COVID and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't see the Knicks being better than them. Um, Boston uh, and Indiana, uh, to me, are the teams that, that also could easily jump. Uh, I mean, Boston's ahead of them right now, um, but Indiana could. Uh, I do like what Indiana has because if they're going to get back T.J. Warren and a couple of guys uh, going forward – I think they'll be in the mix. I think they'll be in the playing game. Um, and honestly, that that's that's all that's all you can ask for. That's really all you can ask for. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see. But uh, Alec, thank you so much for making your uh, for the love of the game debut. Uh, I I think you acquitted yourself uh, quite well. And uh, looking forward to seeing what you got going on on the website, and then speaking with you uh, going forward about the Knicks. And uh, talk to you soon. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you so much for the platform. I would love to listen to your previous. Oh yeah. Oh, oh hold on one second. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's pretty easy. Sportsology.com, the hoopsology section. You'll find a new post from me pretty much every week. I'm going to write one um, in a few days about a team in the West that's making some noise. I'll just leave it at that. And then on Twitter, my name, Alec Marcus, MBA. I'll always be tweeting on the games that um that I'm writing about. Uh, completely free to send me a follow. I always retweet my stuff and let you know where you can find the newest articles. Um, and yeah, let's that's it. Let's just talk basketball. I enjoyed my conversation with you so much, and I would love to keep it going beyond just this episode. And um, I'm really excited for the second half. Finally, it's back. Um, and yeah, go Knicks. We'll see how the second half goes. Let's go Knicks. Good stuff, Al. We will definitely be speaking with you, uh, later on in the season. Have a great rest of the evening. Speak to you soon. Bye. Okay. So I teased it before we have a very special, special guest joining this episode. I, I mentioned in the monologue that New York basketball is on the up and up. The New York Knicks are relevant. But there's another exceedingly hot team that plays in New York City, and that is none other than the Yeshiva University 
Maccabees, they've won 36 straight games in D3. And I have the absolute pleasure to have the uh, the coach of the YU Max on, Mr. Elliot Steinmetz. Coach, good morning. How's it going? Good morning. Thank you. Uh, going well. Happy to be doing this with you. Really, really awesome. Thank you so, so much. So, a uh, lot to talk about. I mean, the run that you guys are on at the moment is is staggering. And I want to just say one thing. Um, having, you know, a guy in his mid-30s, and I keep myself in pretty good shape, and I still play pickup a bunch. I played with one of your players not that long ago, and I've never felt three steps slow on the court before in my life. And he, and he really put me to shame. And he, uh, he then, when I told him I was, I was 34, he goes, well, that's pretty good for a 34 year old. And I, and I almost punched, I wanted to punch him in the head because he called me old, but that that's another story. But yeah, I mean, uh, you guys are on quite a stretch. We are, but now, but now you understand when people ask me all the time, if I, uh, if I stay in shape by, by scrimmaging or playing with the guys at practice and I, and I look at them like they're crazy. Now, you know why I, I'm, I'm 40. So I, I got a few years on you and I got no interest in running up and down the court with these guys at all. But, uh, it is, it has been, it has been quite a run and, um, you know, our guys, our guys work hard for it. And, and it's, you know, it's something that kind of jumped up on us. We don't even really, uh, we haven't really paid attention that much to the numbers kind of piling up, but, um, you know, it's, old cliche one win at a time right so how can you not though because you know just looking at like the the chatter online and and you guys are you know making headway you, you're in the daily news like how can you not pay attention to it so i mean I, I, we obviously know it's there um it's just not a focus i think you know it's one of those things where you know people ask if you're superstitious do you talk about it is like a, like a perfect game in baseball when you stay away from the pitcher we're not, we're not superstitious. And we've done our interviews. We, we talk about it occasionally. We'll, you know, we'll reference it after, after a game, if we won and, you know, or when we won at this point and, and just kind of be like, oh, you know, that's 35 or 36, which is, which is nice. And it's awesome. Uh, the difference, the difference in the mentality is that our guys are mature enough and disciplined enough that each game, they kind of focus on the W and that's it. Um, you know, we have a saying, we chase letters, not numbers. We, we don't care about stats. We don't care about numbers piling up. We don't care about individual accomplishments. Uh, the only thing we're focused on is, is letters and, and specifically getting as many W's as we can. So we're kind of every single game, you know, whoever we're playing, we're focused on that scout. We're focused on getting a W in that game and doing what we have to do to get that one W. After the game is over, it's nice to look at how many are kind of piling up behind you. But uh, during the game, the focus is very, very clear. So let's go back to last year, right? So you guys are were really on the up and up when it came to the conference. You guys had a great run in, in terms of the uh, the conference tournament to get to the uh, the D3 uh, championship. I mean, when did you realize along this run that that this was like a really special group that the school had never seen before? Uh, what was was there like a point in one game or a point in last season where you knew that that this was different, that something special, really, really special was going on here. So I, I really think it actually started off the year before a little bit when we, when we lost in our Skyline Championship game. Um, and, you know, just the kind of the way the guys reacted to it and the way the guys, uh, you know, I wouldn't say bounced back, but, but I, I guess internalized it and, and, and brought it into the next year in terms of their focus and their, you know, wanting to kind of clean up the things that we didn't get done the year before. And it's not, not a revenge thing. It's not an unfinished business thing. It was more of a, 
hey, we didn't get stops when we needed to get stops. We need to be the team that gets stops. You know, like we, we know we could score 90 points. We know we could, you know, move the ball offensively and, and get 25 assists and, and, and you know, get, get that scoring up there. But we didn't feel like that year before ended the way we wanted it to, primarily because when we needed stops, we weren't getting them consistently. Uh, and our guys put their focus, you know, we get a lot of uh, attention for our offense and, and the stuff we do and the shooting percentage and all that. And it's great. And, and our guys deserve it. They work hard at it. But, you know, our defense last year was, was I thought, really, really good down the stretch. You know, everyone talks about the tournament, 102 points in each of the games. I, I thought we were fantastic defensively in both games. And I think that focus came into the beginning of the year uh, and, and, we knew right away that, that it was going to be a different kind of year. And of course, you know, we come out and everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, like Mike Tyson likes to say, and we got punched right in the mouth in that first game. But again, the same way our guys reacted and were able to kind of take it to the next game and learn from it and, and improve from it, it, you know, it was, it was just very, very clear that it was going to be something special at 29 in a row. I'm not sure anybody expected, including me, but uh, you know, one win at a time, every game we played that I think we all expected. Well, you mentioned the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's hard to ignore the – I mean, I should say it's easy to ignore the defensive side of the ball when the three-point shooting stretch that you guys had up, had going towards the end of last year was something – I mean, you guys were shooting 50% from three. Yeah, it was It was quite something. I mean, that's what happens when you have – It's ridiculous. Yeah, we have guys who could shoot it, and we were getting good luck. So, you know, that combination I think is, is, is a little bit deadly um, – you know, we had, uh, you know, Ryan Terrell, Simcha Halpert, Ethan Halpert. All three of those guys are, like, career-wise, over 42 or 43%, I believe, from three, which is a crazy number. Um, you know, Lifer shoots it very well. We have, we have a number of guys who shoot it in that 40% range. We shot it as a team last year, I think, at 40 or 41%, which is an insane number. But, insane uh, number. Know, we go, we go into the tournament where you're playing teams that haven't really seen you. As much as they're scouting, our offense is different. So we ended up with a lot of those looks that, uh, that you know, we were able to convert. And I, and I guess we should probably consider uh, trying to play more games at, at Hopkins because uh, we definitely did shoot well there. <laughs> I, I, it was – and it wasn't just, you know, the, the makes. It was, it was the wide openness of the shots that you were getting. I mean, everything was a quality look. It was, it was really unbelievable. And, and it just – you know, there's – a. Big contrasting style between uh, how you coach the team and how your predecessor coached the team. I mean, I, you played YU basketball years ago. I, I practiced with them a handful of times. And there's a more openness to your style of offense than, than he had. And, and it definitely shows in the confidence of your players. Um, but the conference tournament, okay, so now, you, now, now we're in it. You're getting to the Sweet 16, and obviously the world shuts down, right? You know, as, as a former player, that sometimes, you know, a special group, you only get one shot of things, right? And, and there were extenuating circumstances. Tournament gets canceled. I mean, how did you handle that? And how did your players handle that? Because if I was in that situation and I, I was like a senior and this was like – my my one chance, not my one chance to do something great, but like in, in the scope of in the realm of college basketball, like this was going to be the the shot. Like I don't know if I'd be able to ever get over that, not having that opportunity. 
I, I think it's tough. And, and you know, when, when it happened initially, I mean, you, ca- you kind of saw it coming, obviously, a day or so before. I mean, the week before, we obviously played with no fans. And then we were heading down to Virginia. And the night before, we're, you know, watching the NBA shut down, Major League Baseball postponed, NHL shut down. You know, all those things are starting to happen. And you, you kind of knew the, the dominoes were falling. Uh, you know, we wake up in the morning to go to Virginia and I think the Big East and the uh, ACC had canceled their postseason tournaments. And, you know, here we are already going to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, you know, trying to trying to kind of hope they'll get us that one more game before they, they shut down. Uh, so it was tough. You know, we got to Virginia. They canceled like as we pulled into the parking lot pretty much in the hotel. So, we, you know, we had team dinner. There wasn't much to say at that point. Guys were obviously down. Um, and, and I didn't, I, that's not something I've ever, it's outside my, my realm of experience, as I think it was for everybody uh, who, who was uh, born after 19, you know, 18 or so. But, um, you know, it took a couple of days to kind of figure it out. But uh, I think our guys got it. Like, the world's about perspective. You know, uh, life's bigger than basketball. And this is kind of one of those things that teaches you that in, 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 in a crazy weird way. Um, and, you know, I think once we started to see as, as a team, uh, you know, what was going on around us in terms of people getting sick, people, God forbid, passing away and, and, and uh, you know, losing loved ones and, and people losing jobs and the economy turning to a bad place and the whole world kind of going into this weird lockdown mode where, you know, socially you're just so cut off. I, I, basketball came, became such a, not just unimportant, but it almost like flipped. It became such an important thing in a different way where our guys were starting to do these Zoom meetings with, with you know, high school kids or elementary school kids. And we were doing interviews and we were doing, you know, different kind of like online clinics. And, and it became kind of a way for us to use that positive energy that we had from the season in, 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 a, in, a, in a manner of healing or helping or or distracting people from what was going on in the world. And I, and I think once we kind of realize that perspective, you have a good understanding on, you know, what, you know, yes, it's disappointing. We lost out on a great opportunity, but we were able to kind of turn it into something really, really positive. And, and I think when guys started to see that, it kind of helped them, you know, move on and deal with it a little better. So moving on to this year, right? Um, obviously, we're still not totally back to normal but as you know I've said with everything when it comes <clears throat> when it comes to sports something's better than nothing right so take me through the the challenges of getting this year up and running like I believe you guys aren't necessarily going to have a conference tournament but you guys are still playing games you have this you know record that you're able to able to chase like what were the logistical um you know measures and challenges to get this season's games just up and running yeah, I mean, once the once the conference canceled and the NCAA t- tournament canceled, it was very, very tough. Obviously, just to even get games. Um, you know, we've played seven games at this point. Uh, as of right now, I'm not sure if we'll have another one. We're we're working on three or four different options for next week and and for next weekend. Um, you know, a couple of them are promising, but you know, it's just it's that kind of world right now where everything's like day by day, and we're just you know unclear when we're going to play next, and, and and you know even getting started. Uh, we were able to start practice probably about a month late, I would say. Uh, all kinds of protocols in place, practicing in pods, obviously wearing masks, you know, during practices, um, mm-hmm. you know, all, all that good stuff. And the testing two to three times a week throughout the season. Uh, a lot of just, you know, craziness and distraction. And 
I, you know, I give our guys a lot of credit. You know, we, we had games canceled. We had games postponed. We had games scheduled, you know, last minute. And our guys adapted and they found ways to kind of, you know, prepare quickly and, and focus in practice. And, you know, even though we didn't have a chance to really build chemistry this year the way we did last year through our practices and because of the nature of the way we split up in practices and all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, they found ways to, you know, compete. I think we've been at our, I don't think, you know, but uh, the, the challenge is uh, make it so much more rewarding. The fact that, uh, you know, there's so much gratitude for our athletic department and our, and our, and our school for really being one of the very few schools on, on the East Coast, certainly, that were willing to really go out there and, and continue to make it happen for their student athletes, you know, even while the rest of the country that didn't have conferences was, was you know, were, were mostly canceling. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's really remarkable just because obviously you don't have the, um, the TV revenue that's driving things um, like, like the D1 programs do to, to get these games in, but you know, something's better than nothing. And, and, and I give everybody uh, credit for, for kind of realizing that and, and doing the best you can. I mean, when you don't have that conference tournament to, uh, to look forward to, is it hard keeping the guys motivated? I thought it would be. It ended up not being. We have really good leadership. We have guys who are very competitive and very focused on, you know, and, and I told them this from the beginning when, when, you know, certainly when the conference was canceled and then again when the NCAA tournament was, was canceled. Um, you know, I, I made it very clear. We have, we have three goals always, and none of those have changed based on, you know, whatever has happened with our conference or the NCAA. So, you know, we want to obviously get better every single day. Um, you know, and that's something that we put on ourselves as coaches and on our players as, as athletes. Uh, we want to improve every day. So whether it's a practice, whether it's a film session, whether it's a Zoom session with the team, um, you know, whether it's sending out, you know, virtual film session on, 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 our, on our team chat through clips that we're pulling for them. We want to find a way to get better physically or, or mentally every single day that we're, you know, certainly in season, but also out of season. Uh, you know, that's one goal. Nothing changes there regardless of what's going on. The second goal is every time we have an opportunity to win, we want to try to win uh, and put forth our best effort. So whether that's a game, a practice, you know, whatever it is, we want to try to win every single day. Uh, and, and the third thing is to represent our you know, university and, and the larger Jewish community in, in a positive way um, and really just kind of be, be leaders in, you know, in, in terms of how to act on and off the court. And, and I think if those are our three goals, uh, you know, it certainly leads to a lot of successes on the court and off the court, but it, it, none of that ever has to change regardless of what the situation is around us. And I think our guys were very, very bought into that philosophy and, and, they've, and they've taken, uh, you know, control of, of what they can control and, and had a positive outcome because of it. Well, I, you mentioned that that last goal about, you know, uh, being an example for the greatest Jewish community at large. I'm going to get back to that in a second. Um, but I, I just sticking to the actual actual basketball. Um, so Ryan Terrell, right? Uh, the you know brilliant brilliant player. And uh, how can you convince him to not transfer to a D1 program? Because a guy with his height at six seven that has a handle like he has that shoots the way he does. I mean those guys don't grow on trees. 
So how do you convince me that, you know, or I should say, how did you convince him that to stay basically in school and not try and test the waters on a D1 program? Because he for sure could if he wanted to. Oh, yeah, he, he would start on, on probably many, certainly mid-major teams, but he, he could play on almost any team in the country right now. Uh, you know, he's fantastic. He had, he had a number of offers, uh, I think, more than, more than two handfuls of scholarship offers out of high school um, and made the decision to come here. Uh, certainly could have the option to transfer if he wanted. I, I, and the answer is you don't. You don't try to convince him. Uh, you know, I, think, I think the goals he has and, and the things that he wants to accomplish here uh, are, are what keeps him here. This is, this is his first choice. You know, I've had that conversation with him. I've, if anything, I always, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in pushing guys to go where they want to go and, and pushing guys to be uh, in a place that they feel is a good fit. Sometimes that's going to mean yeshiva. Sometimes it's not. Um, and, and I've had that with recruits. I've had recruits call me and ask me for advice on, on other schools. And, 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 I, and I've, you know, led them that direction if it's a, if it's a good fit for them. Um, you know, my, my job in part is obviously is doing the best I can at Yeshiva, but it's also the advancement of Jewish basketball and, and the advancement of Jewish basketball players. And, and that's not always going to mean that they end up playing for me. Um, you know, for, for Ryan, you know, this is what him and, you know, him and his family decided was, was the best option. And that hasn't changed or, or, or wavered in any way since he's gotten here. If anything, it's, uh, it's strengthening and, and it's, you know, it's certainly not from me. Uh, convincing him in any way it's really it's been from I guess the way he's kind of grown and and you know taken this program and 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 you know along with the other players made it their own and and you know we're obviously happy that that we have a leader like that and and certainly a guy who can put the ball in the basket the way he does um you know but you know the short answer is I I don't think you do try to convince guys like that because you're not going to win a battle like that it's something that has to come from inside and, and he's a special kid from a special family um and you know, they have a real pride in, uh, in what he's accomplishing here and what he's doing and how he's representing, you know, us and, and, and the community. And it's, uh, it's been it's been awesome to be along for that ride. That's for sure. Before we move on to like the glue guy on the team, but I, these debates I've had with a couple of my friends and, and a couple of guys who have also played, uh, you know, why you ball. Uh, we're convinced that, you know, Doug. And it's hard to say because Duncan Robinson's unbelievable, right? But, like, Duncan Robinson started at Williams, a D3 school, made it to Michigan, was on, um, you know, made it, made the title game against Villanova, and then all of a sudden ends up in the G League and the NBA. We're just like, could, could Ryan do that too? I mean, obviously there's some other logistic, you know, you know, Jewish logistics to be, uh, to be worked out, but, like, on talent alone, could he do it also? And we were just like, I I don't think why not. At least I, I I'm convinced that he could make a G League roster and a, and a summer league camp if he really went for it. So you know nobody's gonna ever believe that stuff until somebody actually goes and does it. It's just kind of the way it is. And uh, you know I'm I'm a big why not guy. I mean this kid is one of the hardest working kids, if not the hardest working kid I've ever been around. He gets better every year. He puts on weight and muscle every year, uh, improves on his jump shot and improves on his, you know, post game and, and his, and his athleticism every single year. Um, you know, we've already gotten calls from NBA teams. I mean, we've gotten calls from scouts that want to see him, you know, certainly when, you know, when people are allowed back in the gym, uh, you know, where he, where he goes with that, what he chooses to do, you know, look, I, I think he's got a pro career ahead of him. I don't think so. I think 
Oh, he'll now play somewhere. Anywhere, and a lot of that's going to be up to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He will, he will, he will, he'll play professional basketball. The only question is going to be where he wants to and, and you know, if he's able to kind of bring himself to that level. And I, I got to tell you, I, there's there's no doubt in my mind he can accomplish whatever he wants to that kid. He He's some type of player. He He's really some type of player. I, I forget which game it was um, at the end of last tournament. I'm watching all the games online and – uh, shout out to my buddy, David Gilboa, who was basically like, Aaron, you got to watch, you got to watch. And so Love then all, all of a sudden uh, I'm all in. And I think it was the game of, to get to the sweet 16. And at the end of the first half, he made uh, a pull-up jumper going to his right over two guys, like on the baseline at the buzzer at the half. And I just started going crazy and because that's a shot that like, you don't see a lot of guys be able to hit, like, especially the way he was squaring his shoulders. Like it was beautiful. I was just like, this is, this is something else. So obviously yeah. so he's the headline, he's the headliner, but who's the guy on the team who, who, who's the glue guy who keeps it all together. Cause I, I think there, there, there are really two candidates. Yeah. I mean, look, we have, we have a lot of guys in, in general, we have really selfless guys and that runs from, from, you know, from top to bottom and that goes every player. We, we have guys who like, they just don't care about their numbers. Like it's such a great, great atmosphere. Uh, you know, Ryan might get 31 game, you know, uh, the next game he'll have 20 and, and eight assists. And it's just, there's no change in his demeanor. And, and it's the same thing for him. And it's the same thing for Gabe and Aton and all those guys down the line. They, they don't care. Um, but in, in terms of like a guy, I mean, obviously, look, Gabe Leifer is one of the most special players I've ever, not just coached, but been around. I mean, there's the, the understanding he has of the game, um, the, you know, the ability to kind of do whatever is needed and never change his, you know, approach or, or, or demeanor. And, you know, one of the nicest compliments I, I've heard on our team, actually, we played at, uh, at St. Joseph's in Connecticut uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and after the game, uh, their associate head coach was being interviewed and, and, he, and, you know, we had been down eight at halftime. We're not playing well. Um, and, you know, he, he's a former D1 guy. He coached, uh, he's a head coach at the D1 level and, and an assistant coach with, uh, with Jim Calhoun at UConn. He knows his stuff, this guy, and he knows what he sees. And he also knows what's BS and what's real, right? So we come out of a game like that. We're down eight at halftime. We go on a great run in the second half. We win the game by seven or eight points. And, you know, most people are talking about, oh, coach made great halftime adjustments. You know, what, a, what an awesome job. We, we didn't make any adjustments. We don't, we don't do that. Like, coaching is so overrated from that perspective. We just got our minds right, you know, like, took over – a, you know, a different mentality than they had in the first half. And they just started to kind of play more fluid, let things come to them, understand what was going on on the court and react to it. And, 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 you know, the, their coach, what he said in the interview at the game was exactly that. He's like, Hey, he's like, I give them a ton of credit. They didn't make any adjustments at halftime. They just kind of came out with the same mentality, the same demeanor. He's like, you never saw their body language change throughout the course of the game. When they were down eight to up eight, you never saw their body language change. Maybe the energy level changed, you know, obviously the way we executed changed, but the body language never changed. And that is, I think that flows from Gabe as a leader, like our, you know, guys look at him doesn't matter what's going on in the game. He's got the same face on. He's doing the same things. He's still trying to set his teammates up for points. He'll take his own, you know, take his own move to the basket when he has it and when it's there, uh, you know, and, and that is why he kind of 
is a triple double threat every single night. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at his numbers, but I, I, I would be surprised if he's not something like, you know, 14 or 15 points a game, 11, 12 rebounds a game and eight or nine assists a game. I mean, he's just, you know, those numbers, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, to replicate that at, at any level. And, and, you know, if you have a guy like that, who's doing those things, you know, he, he's, he's obviously a very, very important factor on, uh, on, on a team that wins. So, you know, he certainly is, is one of those guys, um, you know, I think uh, Ofek Reef, who is a sophomore now, who is just is quite a, is an a guy. athlete. Quite an quite athlete. Amazing athlete, but he's also there's there's such a toughness to that kid, um, you know, and an ability to finish around the basket, ability to defend physically, rebound. He just does so many things. He changes us when he's on the court, and, and it's not a talent thing. And there's a ton of talent there, but it's not even a talent thing. It's, it's an energy that, thing energy and a toughness thing you're 100 right and it just changes us we're, we're a completely different team i think when he's on the court than when he isn't so you know those, those two guys i think bring a ton obviously um but you can go you could really go down our roster and i mean Aton halford had 30 plus the other night that kid is probably you know if not the best shooter in the country at this level uh he's got to be pretty close you know he doesn't miss many shots in games or practice he was um, 12 for 15 last game yeah, and I think he was six for seven from three, and and we took him out. Sick. It was yeah. it was a sick shooting display, but it, but and I was going to mention him because obviously his uh, his older brother who played last year is a, a, also a tremendous shooter, but it, it's it's the way he sets the table, and and I and I loved watching him play last year because you know he didn't start, but he would come in and he would and. And, the, and there was just an energy there. And, and just the way he sets the table is like, he's really, really a pleasure to watch. Just solid. Like he, he'll never jump out at the screen, you know, off the screen. And then all of a sudden you see he's 12 for 15, six of seven from three. And you're just like, well, well, when did this happen? Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a special player. And, and I, and I just wish there were more games this year for people to be able to appreciate it. Cause we're seeing it in practice every day. I mean, he is very often the best guy on the court. He's just, he's very, very talented, uh, knows how to get shots up and, and get shots off, you know, even, even, even when there's, uh, you know, even when he's contested um, and, you know, people may or may not notice he's a fantastic defender. So, yeah. you know, he's, uh, yes. he's a very, very talented kid. And, um, you know, I, I, we're certainly not the same team without him uh, last year and, and, and definitely even more so this year. He was, I mean, he was the guy who was, who was willing to, to pick up, you know, 90 feet from the basket and, and do yep. the dirty work last year like that. And I thought that was super impressive. So you mentioned something, obviously, uh, about being a greater example um, for the uh, the Jewish community at large. Obviously, you know, what happened in the news this week with uh, with Myers Leonard? I mean, how much pride do you take in that, um, considering now that you guys are kind of breaking the, the the stereotypical mold in terms of what you know Jewish ball players can be. Yeah, so that that was really kind of the, one of the goals when we got here. Is and, and I've never I've never subscribed to the you know the the concept that we had to strive for mediocrity and that we couldn't play with the uh, you know play with the other teams and 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 play with the better athletes and all that. It just never was something that I believed in. Um, and, and I told that to our guys my first year and, and we kind of recruited that way too. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, the underdog story is always nice and I've been asked about it a lot lately. And, and I, I just, you know, I never thought we were the underdog and, and I never treated it that way. And, you know, like, like I said, uh, 
I think I said it recently in an interview where, where somebody asked me about it. I, I, I don't mind rooting for the underdog. I always love to root for the underdog. You know, you watch the NCAA tournament, you always want to root for the 16 over the one and the 15 over the two. I just don't ever want to be the underdog. Right. You know, like, give me, give me the best players. Give me the squad I have now. Tell me that everybody expects you to win and that there's a ton of pressure on. And, you know, it's become one of my favorite lines. Pressure is a privilege, absolutely a privilege. If you have pressure on you to win, you're doing something right. I mean, when I, when I came in like five, six years ago, you know, gym was empty. We went, we went uh, you know, a few games over 500 and everybody's all excited. And we were just kind of getting started. And, uh, you know, we, we were already talking about when we're going to win the conference. Never happened, but we're going to win the conference. And then we're going to go to the NCAA tournament. You know, I remember, I remember speaking at, uh, at the, at the Saracek tournament and, uh, you know, telling, telling guys that I wouldn't be there the next year to speak because we were going to likely be, you know, at the, at the Sweet 16. Uh, you know, everybody kind of laughs. They think it's funny. And, the, you know, the credit to our guys is they didn't think it was funny. They thought it was, they thought it was doable. And, you know, sure enough, last year the tournament got canceled for other reasons, but we would not have been there because we were going to be at the Sweet 16, which is right. exactly where we were going to be. So, yeah, you know, I think, I think it's great. And I think um, you have a whole generation now kind of coming up that looks at Yeshiva basketball as, you know, I don't know about a national powerhouse yet. We're, you know, we're certainly working to get there and we want to get there, but certainly nationally recognized at this point. And, you know, certainly within our conference, we, we have to be, uh, you know, you have teams coming in that are starting to look at us now as, you know, one of the better teams at the top, you know, certainly top half, the top quarter of the conference every year. Uh, and, and I think that is, uh, you know, that's really a nice accomplishment and something that, we got to, you know, we have to stay consistent with, um, but that our guys have built and our guys have earned. There, uh, so you and I actually initially connected uh, via Twitter and I, I want to take you back because there's, there's a cultural aspect as, as well here. And, um, you know, they say that, uh, that the, the, um, the entity called black Twitter, which I find hysterical because I think there's some really funny stuff there. So uh Shout out to this guy, Jason Buford. And I forget <laughs> what game it was, but he had, he was live tweeting one of the games to get to the NCAA it was, tournament. It was, it, was Skyline, it was a Skyline championship game last year. It was a Skyline championship game. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah, I do. It was, it was great. Yes. He, 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 he tweets just, just to remind everybody, like, this is literally what is happening to my boy right now. These dudes are hitting him and his team with some some shit. And we are like, we're, we're just going nuts. Jews are good at basketball. My boy's team is down 10. I feel like uh, Demony talking to Howard Ratner. Uh, these MFers have legit yarmulkes on and are legit bullying us. And he's saying this in jest because it's funny. And then and he talks about how he's making friends with, with uh, guys in the stands. He's like, and Jews can ball. And I remember just going through these live tweets and hysterically laughing because like, you know, this is great. It's, it's absolutely great to, to see, you know, you know, the, the Jews be recognized for athletic excellence like this. And, and obviously there've been great Jewish athletes before, but you know, for a guy like that, who's probably, you know, never really interacted with, with a bunch of Jews before and to, and to make friends in the stands, learning Yiddish, talking about how his, uh, you know, how, uh, how us Jews can ball. It's really something. Um, so coach, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you one question. Um, sure. I want, I I've been a huge fan of your coaching. I've seen it when you coached high school, I've seen it obviously D one here. 
um, bigger aspirations. Have you ever thought about coaching a D1 program if you got asked? You, you have to think about it because it's kind of a cool thing, but you know, probably not, honestly. I mean, I, I've gotten some inquiries, but nothing nothing crazy or official, and, and I'm really not interested. I really, really, truly love what I'm doing here, and it's, it's just – it's bigger than basketball. It's bigger than coaching. And, and I love being a part of it. And it, it's really just been such a, you know, such a pride, a pride thing. And really, you know, such an awesome uh, experience that I can't see myself really giving it up. Well, I mean, your, your alma mater and your current employer are going to love to hear that. But I, I, I think, I think you could do it if you wanted to do it. Uh, I really do. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, Basketball is basketball, uh, but, you know, um, getting to coach this group of guys at this university, you know, representing what we do and, um, you know, kind of like you said, knocking stereotypes out of the water and kind of bringing a different light into the world. It's it's to me is bigger than anything else. Amen to that. Well, coach, I really appreciate you giving me the time uh, this morning. I mean, this was wonderful. And uh, I I wish you guys the best of luck going forward. I will be uh, I'll be watching and really, really appreciate the time. Thank you so, so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Speak to you soon. Thanks. You got it. Thanks again to my guests, Alec Marcus from Sportsology talking about the Knicks. And uh, Coach Elliot Steinmetz of the YU Maccabees basketball team, an awesome interview. Both of them were awesome interviews. New York sports is hot. Knicks are relevant. YU Macs are on a 36-game win streak. No one cares about the Nets. That's episode 106 for the love of the game. Take us out, home. Street lights, big dreams, all looking pretty. No place in the world that could get them listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.